Uh, we are continuing on our Advent series. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 13 today, so let's go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 11 through 14, and then we're going to dive into uh, the Word this morning as, as, as we look to expound, expound upon it. Um, so if you would stand with me as we read this, Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and uh, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds, that you would speak to our spirits, that we might be refreshed, we might be encouraged, we might be convicted, that we can walk in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you to bring you glory we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. So we start with Advent with He is coming, and we said last week, He has come. God with us. He came, He dwelt with us, He tabernacled among us, He has lived, He has uh, paid a penalty for our sins, and on a cross, crucified, buried, dead, and rose again on the third day, appeared to his disciples, told them, I am going to prepare a place for you. He left, ascended into heaven, and we are told that he will return again. So in the meantime, in the waiting room, in the time of waiting from he has come, now what? That's what we want to think through about Advent. Advent is this preparation of His coming, and, and what a joyous time of year that we can... It's an opportunity as believers, if we believe the gospel account that Jesus was born to die for our sins, then it is a great opportunity for us to go out to a world that still celebrates Christmas and say, do you really know? Do you really know why it's celebrated? And we can proclaim the truth of the gospel and we can say the reason he, that, that we celebrate Christmas is because He has come and He died for our sins. What a great thing. But as we look at that and we consider His coming, there are, I think, several responses. If we consider He has come, there are things that we respond to that with. And the first one we want to look at this week is preparation preparation, that He has come and we know He is coming again, so what are we doing in the in-between time? We prepare. We prepare for what? We prepare for His second coming. We, we want to make sure that we are found faithful, that when He returns, He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So as we look at that, I, I, I think of the response of prepare, and I think this text that Paul writes to the Romans is a great text because I think it gives us three things that we should be doing as we prepare. Three things. Notice what he says. 
He starts out in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Response of prepared starts with, number one, knowing the time. Knowing the time. It is essential that when we consider that Jesus came and we say, now what? It is essential for us to be knowing the time. We need to consider knowing the time, as Paul says, you know the time that the hour has come. To know the time is to know that it is, first of all, limited, right? It's an hour is what Paul uses. Jesus says over and over again in Scripture, the hour has not yet come, the hour has not yet come, the hour has not yet come. And then eventually he meets with his disciples in the upper room and he says, the hour is at hand for the Son of Man to be crucified. And then he is crucified, he is buried, he raises from the dead, and he says to his disciples as, he is, as he's leaving, they ask him, are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom of heaven? And he says, it is not for you to know the day or the hour. And we read here, Paul says, the hour is come for you to wake. And I think of that, I think of it is limited. We don't have forever, do we? Jesus has come, and we wait for Him, and as we wait, it is a limited amount of time. We know that our lives, we are part of the ultimate statistic, that 10 out of 10 people die, that it is just a fact of life, that each day, as our heart beats, it is a beat of a drum march of a death sentence, that because of sin, we will all one day die. It is limited. We don't live forever. We live in a society that is trying to do all kinds of things to extend life for as long as possible. Because also in our hearts, we cry out eternity, I don't want to die. But there is a limit to it, is there not? How are we maximizing the time? We cannot waste or we cannot wait because we think we will always have more. Because it's never promised, is it? It's limited. The thing about knowing the time that I also think about here from this text, he says, the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. It is lulling. Time is lulling. As we walk through each and every day, it is so easy to become distracted from what we are called to do. That Jesus has come and he says, now go and be my disciples and and make disciples of all the nations. And, And he gives us countless commands of things that we're called to do and yet at the same time it is so easy to get distracted with this project or this thing or that thing we get lulled to sleep in our everyday life do we not there are so many things the other day I've been trying to um, rise early in the morning I don't know why other than I feel like it's more productive in theory. I thought it was more productive, so I got up really early, and I actually went to the Y and went swimming, and I came home, and I laid down on the couch for one minute. (laughs) I got to work later than when I normally get to work because I fell asleep. We get busy with things. We get distracted with things. We get, we get enamored with jobs and projects. And, I, and I'm finding myself, one of the things that I'm struggling with in my own walk of life is that I don't know how to rest. I don't. I, I stop one project only to start another project. I am always doing something. You come to my house, I'm building a shed or I'm building uh, something for the horse or I'm doing something for this or I'm doing something for that. I'm always doing something because I don't know how to stop. 
And what I struggle with with that is that I'm finding that I'm actually lulling myself to sleep from the work that I'm called to do. And so Paul comes to the Romans and he says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up. To wake up. It's limited. It's lulling. It's languishing. He says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. We are running out of time, brothers and sisters, to have impact in this world. It's languishing. He has come. It is our responsibility to proclaim that. And then in the waiting room as we await His return, in that time and that space, the hour has come. Know the time. Know that it is languishing. That each and every day, you can turn on the news for about five seconds and realizing that it is darker today than it was yesterday. And it is getting worse and worse, and it is only going to get worse and worse. And so we sit here, and we should have a matter of urgency in our hearts to know the time that as we wait for His return, we have a responsibility. We should be urgent in our relationships, should we not? That when we seek out relationships, they should be of redemptive nature. That when we are spending time with people, they should be redemptive. We should be cautious of our words, speaking the gospel. Uh, the, the, the Proverbs says it very well that, that our, our tongue has the power of life and death. And as we consider the languishing time that is coming and approaching, we ought to be considering that. We should be considering our actions, that we aren't wasting our time. The hour is at hand. The day is drawing near because the night is disappearing. It's languishing. Know the time, Paul says. Besides this, you know the time. So what do we do as we prepare? How should we be preparing? Number one, I think we should know the time. We should have it cognizant in our mind at all times that we know the time, that it's limited, that it is lulling, that there is potential for me to fall asleep at the wheel of what God is calling me to do, that it is languishing, that it will not continue and persist forever, that it is slowly drawing near. And we can rejoice in that at the same time that He is coming and it's coming sooner and sooner. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing in that. That is a good thing. But I think as we talk about the waiting time, I think the first thing we ought to consider is to know the time. But Paul goes on, he says, besides this, you know the time. He says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. How do we prepare? Know the task. We need to know the time. We need to know what's going on. We need to know the task. To be prepared means to spend our time doing the things that He asks us to do. Matthew chapter 24. I thought I had it written down, but I don't. So I have to do the old-fashioned thing and prove that I actually might know where it's located. Matthew chapter 24. Verses 45 has become a challenging text for me as I consider knowing the task. In verse 45 it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions 
But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and to drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a reminder that we have been called and we have been given a great incredible gift in the knowledge of the gospel that has transformed our lives. And we ought to know the task that as we wait for His return, we have things to do. And so He says, put off, put on. Paul talks about this in Colossians. He talks about it over and over again. That as we wait, as we prepare, I think there's a couple of things we can do from this text. First thing is watch vigilantly. He says, wake up, be aware. Time is urgent. Understand the time. We already talked about that. Something that the Holy Spirit has really burdened on my heart as of lately has been this idea of prayer. Prayer, so essential, so vitally important. How do we watch vigilantly? We pray without ceasing. We are inundated with things. And if we are not spending time in prayer, then they are worthless. Brothers and sisters, This is so vitally important that we consider that as we are watching, Jesus called His disciples. He he looked at Peter. It is no wonder that Peter, in writing his epistle, he would say to the people that he wrote, he says in 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, Be sober and pray. Watch unto prayer, he says. I'm convinced he says that because he remembered that moment in the Garden of Eden where Jesus, or Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus pulled those three uh, disciples that he was closest with him. And he, he takes them in there and he says, guys, can you just pray with me? Pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would guide you because you are going to be sifted and under attack. He says, watch and pray. And, and, and he goes and he prays by himself and he comes back and what? They're asleep. And he says, could you not watch and pray with me for an hour? Because Jesus understood the importance of prayer that as we watch vigilantly over the times and the seasons, he would, he would declare to his disciples, let me tell you a story he says in Luke chapter 18, 1 about the importance of persistent prayer. 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and he says, pray without ceasing. In Hebrews, we're told about how Jesus himself was heard when he prayed with many words. Over and over again. Prayer, prayer. How do we watch We pray. But not only watch vigilantly, but war valiantly, he says. Put off these things and put on the armor of God. Walk, cast off darkness, put on the armor. It is a mindset of battle, not casual, but understand that this is serious. I imagine Paul thinking through the Roman guards and, and seeing them and, and, and seeing their armor. And we, we read that incredible passage in Ephesians chapter 6. But brothers and sisters, we consider a waiting time. We ought to consider the task. We need to remember that we are at war for our soul. That it is constantly being battled. That is another reason why we pray. Because we walk in a darkness that we must uh, be 
cautious of. And so he says, let us put off the works of darkness and, and, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. And so we have this idea that, that when we are watching and we are warring and we are, are walking over and over again, these, these nouns, these things that we're to do, the task at hand, that we sit here and we say, okay, because for the life of me as a Christian, when I became a believer, my biggest struggle was, okay, now I'm saved and I'm waiting to ret- for Him to return. I'm waiting for what I'm supposed to do. What am I to do in the moment, right? Why did Jesus leave us here? Well, He spells it out for us. We're to make disciples. We make disciples by, by being aware, by being active, by pursuit, by casting off sin and darkness. I love what, what Adam shared with us. I almost felt like I didn't need to get up and preach a sermon. Because we, we sit here with sin in our life and we know it. We read 1 John and we, we read where it says that if anyone is in Christ, he, is, he no longer sins. And we're like, well, am I not in Christ? What's going on here? And we struggle with that text and we struggle with the walk of life. And, and I don't know about you, but I know that I struggle with this walk of, of faith oftentimes because I see the reality of the broken, selfish, sinfulness in my heart. And I say, how do I do it? One of my favorite uh, uh, football players of all time was a guy by the name of Barry Sanders, and he never spiked the football when he scored a touchdown. Not once. And people would always ask him, why don't you ever do an end zone dance or do you know, whatever they do? And he said, I was always taught that when I get there, I act like I've been there before. Brothers and sisters, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and our sins are covered and we can walk in a way that we ought to act like we are sanctified. And so Paul says, walk without these things. Walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies. And I find it interesting, he uses three couplets here and I'm not sure if there's a connection specifically, but he says not in, in orgies or partying or revelry and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And I find it very fascinating that all these things involve being controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. Don't walk in substance control. Don't walk in fleshly control. Don't walk in emotional control, but walk in the control of the Holy Spirit. Walk properly. Walk as though you are a child of God. Because you are right now. So as we await the return, we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit who has indwelt us. And, and we walk through these things and we say, well, what am I doing between now and then? I am testifying of the truth that Jesus came. He lived. He died. And He bought me by His blood. And He is raised from the dead and He will come back for me again. And so we know the task. We need to know the time that's limited. It's drawing to an end. And we ought to have a sense of urgency. We ought to know the task, that there are things that we ought to be doing, that we ought to be watching unto prayer. We don't need more programs to move people. We don't need more ideas and outreach. We need to pray to the one who moves men's hearts and call upon Him. 
do the work. No great movement in the history of Christianity has ever begun without serious prayer. And if we are not committed to that, then what are we doing? It is worthless works of men's hands. And we are to war valiantly that we understand that we are in a battle and we are to walk in proper light that we are victorious. And in in order to do all these things, in order to know and understand the time, in order to know the task, we need to, as Paul so eloquently puts, we need to know the tool. And this is the beauty of this. He has come. Our tool is Jesus Christ. Look at what he says, but... But it's almost like he's saying, I know you can't do any of these things. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given the greatest resource of all time. So you sit here and say, okay, I hear the task. And by the way, the task is monumental that we would go out into the world and make disciples, that we would walk properly and, and, and walk in a way that, that is bringing and drawing honor and glory to God the Father because that is our ultimate purpose as human beings to, to glorify the Father. And we look at this and we say that is impossible. And the answer is yes, it is impossible, except that you have been given Jesus Christ. You need to know that and remind yourselves, and we have to remind ourselves constantly of the truth of this, His purpose in coming. Remember, why do we celebrate? Why did we talk about it last week? Why do we spend an entire month building up to this idea that Jesus Christ came? He was born as a baby. Why? Because we're told in Matthew chapter 1, right away as Jesus is introduced, that He will be called Jesus because He came to save His people from their sins. Remember His purpose for coming. That in Hebrews chapter 2, as we talked about, that it was necessary that he partook of flesh and blood so that he, by his power over death, might destroy death for those who come to him. Why did he come? Mark tells us that Jesus' own words were that I have not come to be served, but to offer my life as a ransom for many. His purpose in coming That means a number of things. It means you're absolved. Why did Jesus come? You are absolved. Wrath is satisfied. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 1 John 4.10, that... uh, I had the wrong reference, but it's right there. John 4.10, that's why. That Jesus answered her, the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God, you would come and he would give you living water. That's why he came. You're absolved. You are free. The curse of the law has no hold on you. You are redeemed. Sin has no power over you. That you are a new creation in Christ. Romans 6 tells us that anyone who is in Christ has been buried with him. And sin no longer has power over him. You are free. That the purpose of his coming was to absolve you from the wrath of God. To free you from the curse of the law. To redeem you from the the sin that is in your life. You are reconciled. Remember we talked about last week God with us. That he desires to have a relationship with you. That you are brought back into fellowship with him. 
of that wonderful verse, 1 John 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And so now we are, right now, reconciled to Him. That's why He came. This is the tool, the resource that you have, that He came to reconcile you and that you are loved. God's sacrifice of Jesus declares His unbreakable love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Galatians 2.20, that, that it says that uh, Paul says, I live, yet not I who lives, me, lives, but Jesus who lives in me, who gave himself up for me because he loved me. We have to recognize, we absolutely have to recognize that his purpose in coming is an incredible tool for us. Because it puts a mindset on us. We, we recognize the tool of Jesus because we also see the promises he made. Say, how do I get through life each and every day? I recognize the promises he has made that he will not forsake me, that he will be with me wherever I go, and that he will come back for me. And third, we understand his power he sent. His Holy Spirit, our helper. So what do we do in the waiting? He came, okay. He's coming again. How do I be found faithful? How do I not be the servant who when my master returns, I'm found asleep or I'm doing sinful things? I need to know the time. I need to know the task. And I need to know the tool. And ultimately, as we think through this, I think the question needs to be, while you wait, what are you doing? It's coming back. I don't want to be found wasting time. Not only wasting time, but wasting the resources that He has poured in me. I want to be faithful. I want to be diligent. I want to, I want to consider that. So what are some practical things we should be doing? Paul mentions it. Casting off sin. You should be more spiritually mature today than you were yesterday. That's a simple goal. That I would be more spiritually mature today than I was yesterday. And it's a very achievable goal. It's an achievable goal because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. What else can we do? If time is limited, what are we doing? We could be praying for one another. I mentioned this, and maybe it's my hobby horse right now, but I am convinced, utterly convinced of how important it is, praying for one another. I'd just be curious, kids that are left in here, how many of you prayed for your parents this week? They're facing trials as your parents. They're walking through trying to figure out, and I can promise you that one day you will understand this. And by the way, you can be in a grown child and still pray for your parents, and you ought to be. And as much as you might be angry that they messed up this week, they're going to mess up again next week and the week after and the week after that because they're trying to figure out how to raise you. I know that because I speak from experience. 
And I would covet knowing that my children pray that I would walk in wisdom and how to understand their needs and how to help them and to help them walk into a greater understanding of Jesus Christ because their time is limited. Husbands and wives, how many times have you prayed for each other this week? In a world that says marriage is whatever we want to make it. In a day and age where where there is no understanding of the family anymore, are we praying for each other? Are we considering one another in prayer? Brothers and sisters, as your pastor, I'd be curious to know how often you've prayed for me this week. Because I need it. I'm under attack on a constant basis. And my time is limited. That one day that drumbeat will end for all of us. The drumbeat of our heart. And, and this isn't a, a scare tactic message that we would just get to work. But it's a question of sincerity that if our time is limited, we all know that. And we have seen and we know the promise that Jesus has come and He will come again. What are we going to do? The power of prayer is, is just incredible. I shared with the group that meets before the service to pray. I was reading through James chapter 5. And, and you know, we look at the Old Testament. And we, we see these men of the, the prophets. And we think and elevate them to some uh, great position, right? We think of like Elijah who prayed and called down fire to consume on the altar in the, 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 the encounter at Mount Carmel. Incredible story. And we say, man, Elijah was a great man of faith. And he was. But James tells us in chapter 5, in talking about the importance of prayer, he says, Elijah was a man just like you. But he prayed, and he prayed fervently. And he stopped rain for three years. And then he prayed again, fervently, and the rain returned. What I see in this and what I see in hearing about preparing is impossibility. Because I know that I will never walk on a consistent basis properly. And I see a lulling in my own life where there are many times where I forsake the calling of the Lord on a daily basis whether it's in parenting or being a good husband or being a good father or being a good pastor. And I fail at these things and I have to know the tool which is Jesus Christ and I have to plead and beseech the Lord to help me to walk through. So what do we do as we await His return? We know the time, we know the task, and we know the tools. And we plead with the Lord, would you guide me? Would you walk with me? Would you help me? Would you, would you do a mighty work? But if we're unwilling to come to the one who moves men's hearts and plead with him and beseech him at the throne of grace, I'm not sure we're going to accomplish a whole lot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you. Thank you that none of this wholly depends on us. And Father, we, we want to come before you and understand the responsibilities that you have laid on us, but we also know that you are there to walk with us. And Father, we don't want to walk with a burden of guilt, but we do want a sense of responsibility to be about the business that you have called us to. And we thank you. We thank you that ultimately, when we see you, you see Jesus Christ in us. We thank you that even if we fail you, even if we neglect our responsibilities, you are still God, sovereign, glorious, high and lifted up. And that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we don't want to be wicked servants. We want to be faithful. So Lord, would you press upon our hearts Would you press upon our hearts to seek after your kingdom, to be reminded of the truth that the hour is at hand, to be reminded of the truth that we have responsibility. And Father, as we wait for you, Father, may we redeem the time. And Father, I pray for those who are discouraged this morning. Because of chaos in life, because of guilt, Lord, that they would just take that before you and find refreshment. That is your desire to love us, to care for us, to help us. Lord, may we be found faithful because we love you and we desire to please you in what we say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.